Amen. The song that we just sang was the kind of song we need to sing to stay close to the Lord, to, to, for Him to be our first love. And uh, as Brother Mike was teaching today, I thought about how can a church be so strong in the work of God and lose its first love? But there's really a common thing that happens today. If you, if you look at marriages, you are joined together and you have that first love between each other. And then as you guys know, life gets busy with children, with work, with careers, and uh, finding places to go on vacation with the family, and all that happens. It is not uncommon. It is actually quite common when all that kind of comes comes to be done with, the two actually kind of don't even know each other anymore. They've, they've lost their first love. And so it, it is really quite common. That's maybe it'll help you a little bit with understanding where that first church was. And we need to understand that uh, as well. I want to read a portion of scripture here, something you're very familiar with talking about David and Goliath. And it said, and he talked with them. Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, for they were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou fled those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another. And spake after them the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. The difference between David and all the armies of Israel is he saw a cause. A cause to action. A cause worthy of giving his life. Something more important than his life. He was not the only one in the Bible who found himself in this position. There was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at the fiery furnace, there was Daniel at the lion's den, there was Elijah at the showdown with Baal. The early church was motivated by a cause. In Acts 5, 41 and 42, it said, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. There was a cause. To suffer Whatever was, was needed. 
Revelation 12, 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying, In heaven now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Many times you hear the question asked, where did the next generation of the church go? Where are they? I, I, I heard this question. I've mentioned it before. People have asked me, you know, well, where, where do these kids go? They're not in the church anymore. The church is still there and operating, but the young people grew up and left. But it's not likely that they went and they're serving in another church. They just seem to vanish away from the church. Now let me put it in an opposite way. <laughs> Sometimes when people is known for being a strong Christian, perhaps a longtime pastor or a longtime dedicated member of a church, they are asked a question when somebody comes to them. How are all your children doing? Or perhaps in the front of a book that they have written, there is a part giving creditation to the writer, listing all their children in the places they are serving God. The all-encompassing answer that we want to say is that all our children, they're in church. Now, being in church, <laughs> to me, means that they are a critical part of a Bible-believing church. That church is an integral part of their life, that they have a place of service, that they are faithful to the church in their time, their finances, and their talents, that they love God, they love being with the people of God, they're leading their families in a closer walk with their saviors in their Savior's work. They are all in, all in. And church is an integral, necessary part of their life regardless of the extent or type of service that they do. Other than that type of dedication and involvement, to me, they are not in church. They may attend a church, but that is a far cry from being in church. I'm talking about the church. The one and only institution in the world where true life is learned, lived, and given. The church. The one Christ was mentioned before. The one Christ gave his life for. The church whereby it's said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. The church is to be the heartbeat of every Christian in every home. To only attend a church is not in church attending a church is not finding attending a church and not finding something you can do in it is not in church there's something for everybody to do as minor as it might be a place of service attending church and not substantially and sacrificially giving your time and your finances to it sorry that's not really being in church so, where did the children go in the church? They went where they were going. Why did they go there? Because they believed the lie. 
Where did the lie come through? From friends? From family? From a church? <laughs> from the flesh? From the world? From educators? From their own flesh? Their own self? Because the biggest liar that we have in our lives is ourselves. Not mortifying the deeds of the flesh, but rather justifying the actions of it. There are many conduits of lies, but what is the source of lies? To answer that, there's really two answers to that question. Because one is, if you are not a born-again believer in Jesus, the answer is this. John 8.43, why do you... Why do ye not understand my speech? He's talking to the religious crowd of all who should know who he is. (laughs) Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth... Why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Simply this. If you're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you can't hear him. You can't. It's impossible. It's, it's like uh, trying to read a foreign language. Make you understand. It's, it's just not there. But if you are a born-again believer, the answer is this. 1 John 2.12, I write unto you little children. And you see who he's talking to here. Because your sins are are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you little children because you have known the father. I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. (laughs) But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Within us, Romans chapter 7, we talk about it. We have a flesh to overcome. We have to mortify. We have to kill the deeds of the flesh. It's a willful thing that we are to do and not to give over to. The unsaved are totally incapable of hearing God, let alone understanding Him or serving Him. The saved can hear. They can understand. They can serve God, but they can fall away, grow deaf, cold to God. And how is it that those who do hear, who do know, and have been redeemed, been raised in and experienced God, fall away from it? Today's message is a stark picture of what is to come. This is a warning, folks, to us. Unsuspecting parents in an unsuspecting church. From this backdrop, I want to preach a message entitled, Is There Not a Cause? Is There Not a Cause? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your blessed word this morning. May may it come alive in our heart and soul, may it give us the warning, may it give us what we need today in this life, right now, to serve you, to truly serve you, to love you, to see our children 
love you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we enter into 2024, by the way, Happy New Year. If we're going to do anything for God this new year, if we are going to courageously step out in faith, there's one thing that everything starts with is a cause. A cause worth giving your life for. It was a cause that burned in the heart of the allies that drove men and women to give their lives and that without that would never, the victory never would have been there. You look back, these were people who saw a cause. They were willing to give their life because they saw if they didn't, they were going to lose it anyway. It was their only hope. They went with a cause. Times of peace are wonderful, but many times peaceful times bring lethargy, and lethargy produces compromise, and compromise re-enables the enemy to grow, and that's what we are seeing today. It's unbelievable almost to see the enemy just lift its ugly voice and just have a stage giving them a stage. We would do well <laughs> not to sit back on our laurels and great times and what wonderful things we have. We would be, do good to enable ourselves to, to get in the fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as Christians know that this world is headed for complete destruction. I mean, we're not here to save the world, okay? It's not going to happen we know um, that Jesus is coming back and he's going to rapture this church out. There's going to be a time of tribulation. There's a thousand year millennial reign of Christ and, and, and this world is going to pass away. It's going to burn up in fervent heat. But we've got children here and don't think we've got this figured out. Don't any of us think we've got this thing figured out. There's a cause. It's worth our, all our life for it. Christ gave us the church. It is his vehicle. It is what he works through. This is important, what church is. Don't tell me that family comes before church. Family and church is not a priority work. Like one's above another. It is a unified work. Church and family are to be united. It is the work of the devil to segregate church and family. I'm afraid we're opening the door to the church of segregation and convenience. And we have plenty of them around. Churches of those who are, are not all in can come into a church and sit there and be comfortable in it. What do we got going on? Got some people here. All right. We are not to be. I hope our church, we ought to welcome everybody and love everybody. But we need to preach the gospel to the extent that nobody's comfortable outside of. We'll let these folks come in.
Hello. Come on in. <laughs> All right. You know, there are some serious messages from Christ that applies to all churches of all times that we're studying in the book of Revelation. We've seen a great church in the church of Ephesus, but it had a problem. It lost its first love. We need to be paying close attention to what the Lord said in Revelation concerning the churches, and we need to line ourselves up with that. Now, I want to take a look at history that repeats itself in the Bible, and we ought to be greatly concerned about these. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. If you want to turn there, I have a lot of scriptures and a lot to get through, so I'm not going to stop and wait for you to get there, and you can mark these down if you want or try to uh, follow along. But Joshua 1 says, Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand, or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shalt thou make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou have good success. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. We see a generation here of Joshua and and he is given over leadership of the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 it says and if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord uh, Joshua speaking here choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell but as for me and my house we will serve the Lord there was a dedication of Joshua to serve. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. There's a lot of lip service here. Okay, For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up, out of, up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage in which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us, all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land, therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord 
and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Now, you know anything about the Bible? They don't. <laughs> and Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourself that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, listen to what he says. Put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And they had in their hands their idols, their worship. They weren't worshiping God, and he says, put them away. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God, we will, will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Now we go to the book of Judges. We're going to see the next generation that comes in. You had a generation that loved God, Joshua, that was victorious in their life. And then we see here in Judges chapter 2, verse 1, it says, An angel of the Lord, some of this is kind of repeating back, came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. I have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. And he says, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And then he asks this question, why? Why have you done this? You know, that's a good question for all of us when we're in where we're not supposed to be. Why have we done this? He says, wherefore I also said I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Boy, that sounds good and sincere. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. The second generation has an inheritance. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatheris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gash. And all that generation, all that generation, were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. There was a problem in passing that on, I think. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges. But they went a-whoring after other gods, bowed themselves unto them, they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the 
Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their own stubborn way. In other words, this generation, they kind of knew God would deliver them and show them goodness. But as soon as that was done, they'd go back into their old ways, up and down, up and down. So we see that generation. Now we're going to look into the next generation, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 1. And it came to pass when Samuel, the last judge, was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. This is sad for Samuel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to, unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us, like all the other nations. <laughs> but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since that day I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day wherein they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. And he begins and he goes through and he tells them what all is going to happen. Basically, he's going to be taxed. He's going to take your men. They're going to be his servants. This is a bad thing. They're going to want it anyway. We can't afford to go down that direction. You see a first generation, all good. You see a second generation that's ignoring, flip-flopping back forth to a third generation who just wants to live like the rest of the world and have the world over the top of them. What a shame. They wanted a king. They got a king. Saul was the first king. It was the People's Choice Award, you might say. Tall, handsome, strong. Surely he'd be our great king. And he flopped like anything. And, and after that, God chose him a great king, a king named David. 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now thy kingdom shall, con shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. In Acts 13, in the New Testament, it says, And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. 
Here's a start of another generation. David, the mighty David. We spoke about David in the beginning. We've seen this. He was a man with a cause. David's reign was not a reign of peace. It was a reign marked by battles. Not just physical battles, but battles of the flesh and spirit. The nation of Israel during that time became the most powerful nation in the world through this. The next generation, Solomon's generation, see if you notice a common thing here, was known as the greatest time of peace and prosperity in the nation of Israel. Solomon started out well, as did the generation after Joshua, they had a good start, actually, after Joshua. They, they went out, they fought battles, and it looked really good until they fell apart. But likewise, it ended in disobedience and idolatry, something that would seem unfathomable to a Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived. First Kings 11.1 1 says, But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clave unto these in love. A thousand. Seven hundred concubines. Three hundred wives. And he had seven hundred wives princesses and 300 concubines. Oh, I got that reversed. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Shemoth, an abomination of Moab, in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. I mean, these people would sacrifice their children to these gods. Solomon, the next generation after David, fell into this. You better wake up. You think, think we've got it? figured out with our kids the next generation then he says where the Lord said unto Solomon for as much as this is done of thee and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded thee I will surely rend the kingdom from thee and will give it to thy servant so now we'll get into the third generation here. And the rest of the Acts, First uh, Kings eleven forty one, and the rest of the Acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years, and Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his stead. I want to read you a little bit about Rehoboam. Here's the third generation. You see the degradation. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel was come to Shechem to make him king. 
And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it. For he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. That they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came, and they spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous, now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke which he put upon us lighter, and we will serve thee. He's saying the whole kingdom's going to serve you if you just lower this oppression that your father has put upon us. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days and come unto me again. And the people departed. And so the king Rehoboam, this is Solomon's son, consulted with the old men that sat, stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and will serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make this yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him, <laughs> his buds, spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but, thou, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thou shalt say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than thy father's loins. And now whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day. Find out what uh, Rehoboam's going to say. As the king appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him. And they spake to them the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah, the, the Shilonite, unto Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we have in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. But as for the children of Israel which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. There's the split kingdom. That's what happened. Division came. The first generation was victorious. The second generation prosperous and weaked, weakened. The third generation divided and later conquered by and ruled over by the world. And let me tell you, they built a religious system that would put Jesus on the cross. Couldn't even hear him. Remember what I said? Sometimes people go astray because they can't hear God. Unless you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, until you've just set everything down and look to the cross and realize he died for you. Until you've made that commitment, until you've turned your life around, that's a one-time thing, that you've trusted the Lord, you will not hear him. You cannot hear him. 
It's the Holy Spirit that moves into your life that enables you to understand and to hear and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I've heard it preached and talked about, and it's kind of a scary thing talking about a first-generation Christian. In other words, those who, who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, who know who they are, excited, who came away from what they knew was wrong and turned to what was right and lived like that, and then their children go up. They call them the second-generation Christian. And we talked about what the third generation looks like because the second generation, you know, when you turn around to the Lord and God blesses and God works in your life, He blesses the second generation walks right into that. Just like Solomon. But I'm telling you what, there is no such thing, listen to me, as a second generation Christian. Everybody needs to be a first generation Christian. Otherwise, that's where they're going. They're going down. They're going with their dad's religion or this religion or that. Until you know Christ yourself. If you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. You can't even hear God. But we get away from God. To the point where we don't listen to him. To a church even that we talked about in Ephesus. In Revelation chapter 2. That did all these right things. Did all the work. But lost their first love forgot who Jesus was and the love that is to compel us to do what we do. I guess what I want to encourage the church today is we need to have a cause. If we're going to do anything, we have to have a cause worth giving our life Otherwise, it's going to be a bunch of useless words, a bunch of New Year's resolutions, things of that nature that come and go. You've seen it with the children of Israel. Well, we're going to serve the Lord. They go out and they start out good. And John and I was kind of laughing. I brought some soda into work. And I almost looked on his face like, I bet he's trying not to drink soda. And he came up to me later laughing at work. And he said, uh, he said yeah, he said, I've been drinking drinking all that pop you brought in like it was free. and uh, But yeah, you know, he broke this resolution right off the bat. You know, we can't do it in, in our flesh. But I'll tell you what. There's a thing in my life that has lasted. If you can get to the point where you can look back at your life and not pet it and, and just see what it was for what it was and forsake it. God can do something great in your life that you can be just compelled to do something for God and it'll last. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we conclude the message. Where are you at today? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you seen him dying on the cross? Have you heard him say to you, I love you. I died for you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. Have you come to that altar where you said, God, I'm sorry. Will you save me? 
I don't know where it goes from here, but I'm just trusting you. Have you made that your commitment? You could do that today, even right now, in the heart of your hearts. If not, we better have a cause. A cause that doesn't go away. A cause that stays. We've got children in here. They can go away very easily. What are you going to do about it? Take up the cause. Take up the cause. Amen. Thank you for your attention uh, this morning. I want to read a portion of scripture so you understand why this church started. It says in Ezekiel 22:23, in the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor rained upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion, ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean, and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered, mortar, seeing vanity and dividing lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy, yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. It's a mess. Our churches are a mess today. I see that. He says, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And he said, but I found none. This little guy here, I wasn't raised as a pastor. Come on in. Yes, there's one right right around the corner there. You're welcome. But I saw the need for churches to get back where it needs to be. We need to get there. You all will need to take it on as you go. He's looking for somebody who will stand in the gap. There's a big gap today. And people need the truth of the Word of God. They need to understand what church really is about. They need to understand who Jesus is. They need to see the saving 
grace, the goodness of God in their lives. Are you committed? Are you going with? This is why I stepped out and I said, Lord, I'll do it. The Lord's just asking for anybody. Will you step out with me in this church? Will we go forward for him this year? Committed. And I'll just end in prayer. Father, thank you for your blessed word, something that we can really truly trust in. And uh, in a world that's really wanting to deal a lot of blows to a lot of people, that Lord help us to reach out, be what we ought to be, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for...